With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... Snow the Goalie. 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 Welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, the Prognosticators podcast, the President. Wait a second. I don't have to go anywhere beyond the Prognosticators podcast because today on Snow the Goalie, while others are soliciting questions, Snow the Goalie has gone out and found an international man of mystery to bring all the answers <laughs> that the Philadelphia area has about their team, their town, the orange and black, the Philadelphia Flyers. Of course, I'm joined as always by Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. I'm Russ at JoyOnBroad. And of, of course, uh, people who have followed us on Twitter already know that our guest on today's show, former Philly guy, now TSN. And of course, that is Frank Saravalli. Frank, thanks for joining us. Former Philly guy? I'm always a Philly guy. I've never left. That's, that's right, Russ. Good. Tell this him, is like, Frank. It's like tell the Marines, him. right? Once because, Marine, always because Marine. Russ I just isn't a Philly. Look, I Russ to isn't test. a Philly guy. Uh, Russ is a, he's from Schuylkill County. Uh, okay, thanks. is a Sheets is better than Wawa guy. Whoa, that is not oh, true. No. I am a Sheets and Wawa both have their strengths. We're not getting into this. We got into <laughs> this it. once. I, I People complained. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so Frank is still a Philly guy, and uh, is is proudly representing Philadelphia. As a uh, as a national or international, as it were, hockey writer for TSN. So we're really thrilled to have him uh, on the show. Frank, how's the summer going, man? I mean, I know that you you were pushing, uh, you know, you were working you know, both uh, twenty four hours a day. It seemed like you know, during the finals and then into the draft and free agency. You finally getting to enjoy some time off here. Yeah, it's been a really good summer so far. Um, right after July 1 ended, came back from Toronto and our show Free Agent Frenzy on July 1. Uh, went to Hawaii on July 2 and just kind of been relaxing since then. So it's kind of like uh, the last final countdown here these last three weeks to close out the summer. Kids are going back to school, getting ready for school, and I'm getting ready for the season. So uh, certainly excited to see what the player media tour has to offer in the first week of September and kind of we're off and running with training camps opening a week later. So it's crazy how short it feels. And for some of these teams that didn't make the playoffs or didn't go very far, it's probably crazy how long the summer feels as well for those teams. I I guess uh, one of the things we actually want to talk to you about um, tonight is is what the transition was like going from being a local guy to being a national guy. But I I actually want to start, a little bit ahead. I'm going to jump ahead and then bounce back to that question because you you mentioned the um, July one special on TSN and literally you guys had a a team I, a, like 
20 guys like in that mm-hmm. studio just working it like working those thank phones. god it's a big studio yeah <laughs> it's it's awesome i love watching it man i think it's i think it's a trip what is it like actually there i mean i it's it's great because it's it's like there's no nobody's worried about oh am i on camera you guys are on the phone talking to each other you're walking over to the one desk standing there talking to, to bob and you know and drake's is, is drager's working you know the phone and talking to somebody like it, what is it actually like to be involved in that whole mix as everything is breaking all around the country? Well, I would say the best way to explain it is like organized chaos. I mean, there's something going on at all times. And like, you know, obviously you're not seeing the text messages and the conversations or hearing the conversations that are going on in between as I walk over and kind of see what everyone's working on, what I can contribute. And you're right. Like, you know, what's so amazing about seeing it up close and personal. Well, first, like you really come to appreciate behind the scenes, just the preparation that's involved in putting a day like that together. My editor and boss, Steve Dryden, is like literally camped out in his office for at least three solid days from five or 6 a.m. till, you know, late at night, putting together all those boards that you see, uh, all the information that James Duffy comes across his desk. And then to see James and his amazing ability to kind of direct traffic and just talk. You don't realize how talented he is, um, you know, until you see it up close because literally until one or two seconds before he's going on air, someone is in his ear constantly with information or trying to talk to him and explain what's coming next. So there's something always on the go. Um, And then once everything does start happening, then you kind of need to react to it. So you know, of course, on July 1, we had the offer sheet that Sebastian Ajo signed with the Montreal Canadiens. And all of a sudden, you kind of take, you know, I get like a 30-page document when I walk in in the morning, and you just basically take that and throw it out the window because now all of a sudden you're changing gears and talking about this offer sheet and what it means for the Canadians, what does it mean for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Mitch Marner, how does this have a ripple effect on the market? Will the, will the Hurricanes match? All of a sudden, you're trying to report and talk to, you know, people in Carolina, people in Montreal, there's stuff, you know, it's amazing to see it up close. Um, you know, and I wish other people got a chance to do that and see, you know, how much goes into it, because it's insane. You just mentioned something that that I wanted to get to really quickly about this offseason. And, and of course, that's the restricted free agency. And, you know, this is something that Anthony and I talked a lot about leading up to, uh, to this offseason. It was something that I, I frankly believed was going to happen which was the idea of offer sheets going out to young players who had the ability to put up nearly 100 points. Two guys that you know come to, to mind are ones that you've mentioned, like uh, Mitch Marner and, of course, Braden Point of Tampa Bay. And we didn't really see many sheets get offered. And so I, I guess the question that I have, um, and I'm not looking for you to break anything here, um, in your conversations with, with uh, teams, with agents, with whoever you have as sources, and, and of course, working with your coworkers at, T- at uh, TSN, do you get the feeling that there were a few other sheets that might have gone out to players or that there were at least internal conversations with other teams about offering uh, a contract to an RFA that just never came to fruition or hadn't been reported on? Yeah, I think that always, there's that flirtation that exists that, you know, agents are always talking to teams once you get to that window where they can legally do so, where they're kind of saying, you know, hey, look, if you want to do something like come to the table and 
and slide us an offer sheet and we'll give you an idea whether or not we want to sign it. And so obviously the speculation was out there that the Canadians had first tried on Braden Point and then when they got a sense that Braden Point either wasn't willing to sign it or that they couldn't you know, put together the offer that would really be a poison pill that they kind of changed gears and then went back to Sebastian Ajo and said, can we get something done here? And I'm still shocked, you know, almost two months later, uh, six weeks later, that ultimately that's what the Montreal Canadiens thought would get this done with Sebastian Ajo because you look at his impact um, and really to me, he was the second best RFA in the class to only Braden Point. So when you look at all of that, you know, it's going to take more than what you offered to get him. It did, the, the Hurricanes didn't even have to think. In fact, they're thrilled, I think, at this point that it's done. They're relaxing and enjoying their summer. And Don Waddell is off, you know, at some point interviewing for the Minnesota Wild GM job. So they could relax. And I think a lot of other teams kind of wish they were in that situation where they got one that didn't even really make them think. And now they have their guy locked up long term. So they, they didn't meet the money threshold. Uh, the signing bonus, you know, I, for whoever thinks that Tom Dundon doesn't have money, like he just lost two or $300 million or some chunk of it on this fledgling football league. So he has the cash. It's just that he isn't pouring truckloads of it into the Carolina Hurricanes. So if he needs to or wants to, he certainly has the ability to do that. And I think the Montreal Canadiens, you know, poorly evaluated the scenario and the situation Maybe they were hoping that he would get emotional and say, oh, okay, you signed this offer sheet. Go ahead. We don't want you anymore. But I, I, don't, I don't understand what they were thinking or doing. So to answer your question, I think there were multiple conversations that have gone on. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't believe there's been one or at least one with serious consideration for Ivan Provorov because the teams know that the Flyers have the ability and the cap space to really kind of uh, match whatever they would need to. So I don't think there's ever been a real flirtation there with Provorov. So there were there were two I, things. I guess I, there were two I'm things sorry, I just wanted to, to follow up on with you really quickly. Uh, one, so there there had been the thought that perhaps Montreal had a conversation with Ajo's agent, and this was more or less just a a posture, right? Like this wasn't a a sheet that they put together with the intention of actually signing him. It was almost like scratching the back of an agent. What you're saying makes it sound like. That's really not the case. This sounds like it was something that they did in good faith and, and they just misread the market on him. Am I characterizing that in a, a fair way? I think so. I, I, why would you go through, jump through hoops to put it together with the signing bonus and all that and just think that you're scratching the back of an agent? Like, what are they getting in return from Jerry Johansson and his group on the flip side of scratching his back? I, to me, they were trying to pry the player out of there and make their team better, and they just did it poorly or executed it poorly. The other thing that that stood out was that you said that. Sorry, Anthony, I, this is the last thing, but you said that uh, right, that Ajo that was the second best RFA going into this off season, and I I think that that's going to catch a, a few people off guard. You said behind Braden Point, which I would agree with. Of course, Mitch Marner is is often the one that fans go to and clamor for the big name player from Toronto. What is it about Ajo that you thought made him the second most desirable player on this RFA market over guys like, you know, Marner or Rantanen, somebody like that? 
Well, the first thing with Aho over Marner is that he's a center. And the second thing is there's a premium on goals. So, and then to me, the third thing on the list is you look at the quality of his teammates. Mitch Marner, you know, some would argue got the John Tavares bump this season. And look, I'm not taking anything away from Mitch Marner if there's any Canadian fans that are listening to this. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think any team on any team in this league would love to have him. But to me, he gets the JT bump a little bit last year. He's led this team in scoring two years in a row. You know, there's no question he's a great player. I just think he's probably further down in the pecking order than some might realize. In fact, like, I, you know, I would say that, you know, right if you were to compare um, Miko Rantanen and Mitch Marner, I might even be taking Miko Rantanen over Mitch Marner. So, again, not to say he's not a great player. It's just to me he was like fourth or fifth on the pecking order this year in terms of the RFA class. The problem is his side has now dug in. They're saying that they think he's worth every penny that Austin Matthews has signed for. And, again, you come back to those first two factors that I mentioned center and goals, they win every time. So I don't care how dynamic the player is from a money perspective. That's not the way hockey's work. So they can continue to push. And I'm fascinated to see where it goes. I'm not surprised at all that he's not signed. And in fact, I'm not surprised at all that a lot of these other RFAs aren't signed because this was bound to go into September for most of these guys, including Provorov. Um, I just, that's just how I view the pecking order. I, I guess the question I had for you, Frank, that Russ interrupted me three times with, um, was you know. Let me stop you right there. Tr- I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> with the league trending over the last several years, so much younger, and and having um, uh, RFAs hitting the market that are you know top end, I guess, talent um, more so now than I than in the past uh, at a young at a younger age. Are you surprised at all that that there hasn't been? more conversation or more attempts or more serious consideration to trying to throw an offer sheet at somebody? Or do you think that the when when teams look at it and they see that it's going to cost them so much in the future in the way of draft picks that it's probably, you know, not worth that much of an investment money plus losing the draft picks? Yeah, I would say the part of it that to me that scares teams off isn't necessarily the future or or the money i'd say that they're able to you know look at the situation and lay all the cards on the table and see that almost all of these teams are really well positioned to match anything i mean to me like i always go back to shea weber and we all know how that deal came together and you know what the flyers put into that to try and get it done and if you had a team that back then was a really small market team that had like 13 or 16 owners that, you know, certainly wasn't making money, wasn't selling out, uh, wasn't the playoff beast that they've been the last number of years, wasn't nearly as popular that if the Nashville predators could find a way to match that gargantuan offer sheet that I just find it hard to believe that a lot of other teams are going to find a way to walk. And, and look, I, I like the way that, you know, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for instance, with all the rhetoric that's been out there, have handled the situation publicly. The comments have been fascinating because everyone always wants to hear their GM say, well, you know, we'll match any offer sheet that comes down the pike. Obviously, no one's 
you know, concerned about the Toronto Maple Leafs financial wherewithal or even cap space at this point in order to work it out. They've found all the flexibility that they need. Um, I just love that Kyle Dubas came out and said, well, we'd have to consider whatever the offer sheet entails. We'd have to look at the compensation. So, um, you know, then all of a sudden that gives pause to the Marner camp. If you're sitting there saying, well, should we sign this offer sheet or not? This is a kid that loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf and wants to be one. And I believe that to be genuine. So all of a sudden you're putting the dare kind of on his plate saying, go ahead, sign it. Like how badly do you want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf? How much do you think this team can win uh, in the near future with the talent that we've surrounded you with? It's on you to then go ahead and match it. So I think, um, you know, I think that's where, you know, teams kind of get scared off is that it's not necessarily one or the other. It's, it's just, it's the ability of teams to match now that all these teams that have been in a tough spot have found a way to create the flexibility and the flyers have that same flexibility now with Provrov that kind of takes the element out of it where you're putting a team in a tough spot. I want to get, go ahead. So since we're talking about, I'm going to cut you off again now. Since we're, since we're talking about Provorov or you've mentioned him a couple of times, what do you think happens here? Uh, Frank, do you, do you think it's something that that they ultimately decide to give him, you know, a longer term deal, or do you think that they finally settle on maybe like a bridge contract, and then after that, then he gets the big money that he's looking for, you know, three four years down the line? And you've known me for a long time, yeah. You know that I like to gamble. Um, <laughs> I'd be absolutely floored if Ivan Provorov is on a bridge contract. Okay. Just from the conversations that I've had, I, I would be really shocked. Now, here's where the problem comes in for the Flyers, is that if you start looking at long-term deals and how many years of free agency you're going to chew up, I don't know, for instance, that 7 times 7, let's just throw a number out there, I don't know if that's enough, buying some of those years of unrestricted free agency. Like I don't know it's, that it's that gets not. it done. because. No, the problem is, you know, if it's four years, I, I was trying to double check my math before I came on. If it's four years, you walk him right to free agency. Is that correct? Correct. Or is it five? Well, he came into the league at at 18, right? So this is be his third year. So, yeah, four years. So that'd be seven years in the league, right? Right. So then you'd, four if years. it's, right. So then four years walks him to the door of unrestricted free agency five, six, and seven, you're buying three years of UFA. Now you go ahead and you look at, let's just throw a guy out there and you know, who helped shape the market this summer, Jacob Truba and the deal that he signed, he gets in at eight. Does, does eventually Ivan Provorov say, look, I, you know, let's try and play the market here and figure out where I'm going to be in three or four years or four years, what what number would I need to be at to feel comfortable and feel like I'm not being vastly underpaid? The market's already seemingly being set up that's at a pretty significant number for a guy that has a 17-goal season and a 40-plus point year chewing you know, up minutes that Jacob Truba kind of didn't do till well later in his career comparatively. So, you know, you look at the benchmarks, I, I just – I don't know – I, I truly don't know if seven times seven is enough if you want to just throw a number like that out there. But I, I think that the Flyers would be smart to try and get him on a seven or eight year deal, 
given what I think and probably what they think is his upside, given what he's done already. So let me make you Chuck Fletcher for a second. What's the uh, what's the annual number? The the salary the the, the, the AV. What does that look like for you before you really have? I need before, to know how many years. Pause. Well, let's say it's seven years. Does does eight million make you like? Do you balk at that if you're Chuck Fletcher? I mean, I don't even know if probably I, not. Does eight does eight and a half is eight and a half enough to to turn you off to it? Because I feel like we're looking at something where Provorov's agent might look for closer to nine. Right. Is nine million per year, knowing that there's going to be a new TV deal coming up, knowing that the cap, hopefully at some point will uh, will expand. Um, Are we looking at a situation where in a few years, nine million annually to Ivan Provorov, if you know, assuming that he's more the player from two seasons ago than the roller coaster ride that he was last year, knowing that he's your number one defenseman, he's a guy who chews up a ton of minutes in a game is nine million you know, let's say three or four years from now, do we look back on it and say that that 9 million was actually a steal for the team? I, it's possible. I mean, with all those reasons you just stated, for sure, it's possible. If I were the Flyers, I'd probably start to get a little bit uncomfortable at that, at the $9 million mark because of some of the other reasons that you mentioned as well. What if he, you know, trends more towards the player that we saw on the roller coaster ride last year? There's a bet for both sides. And so you'd have to think at a certain point that there's a number that makes everyone feel comfortable where maybe it is in that $8 million range that you say, this could still really be a big bargain for this team in the back half or even the last five or six years of this contract. And where you get Ivan Provorov enough money in the prime of his career where he's saying, I didn't leave much on the table. We had a question over on Twitter. Um, The person was uh, let's see. It was Chris Naffy who said, um, considering Nylander's struggles after signing his contract, when should Flyers fans be concerned about a prolonged holdout for Provorov? I mean, to me, any guy that's not in training camp is already putting himself behind the eight ball. So I, I'd be concerned if they get to September, I guess, is their camp opening a couple days earlier this year because they're going overseas? I, I forget yeah. how that works, but you know, I'd be my my spidey senses would be tingling or my eyebrows would be raised if he isn't in camp to start because I just think it it just becomes that much more difficult how many weeks you miss to really get in that rhythm and I think that's sort of the test case for everyone especially after William Nylander comes out after the fact and says man if I could give any advice you know I I'd just try and figure this out a lot earlier and get this done rather than going what he went through. I have a feeling that it might reach that point, Frank, with Provorov. I, I don't know. I just there's just part of if me it that does, th- he's probably not going to be alone because yeah, this is going to be a like it's going to be a Jenga effect, right? Because everyone else is waiting for the same thing, right? Like McAvoy's waiting for a number to get set. Wierenski is waiting for a number to get set. By the way, I was thinking about it before we started chatting. If you were to just throw two guys on the table, Wierenski and Provorov, and you only get to pick one, which guy would you pick? It's a great question. I, if you asked me this question on August 13th, 2018, I would have said Provorov without even blinking an eye. But in asking me this today, it's more of a toss-up, and I might even lean towards Wierenski at this point. 
but it's a, it's a tough one. That's a, that's a I don't question. know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what I would pick myself. Both left shot defensemen, um, Wierenski, You know, he seemed to be just hitting it at the right time, contract wise. Because if Provorov duplicated what he did from his second year, then all of a sudden we're having a totally different conversation. Um, obviously, that's the one pause is kind of how last year played out. And Wierenski, sixteen goals, forty four points last year, was really the guy that. Um, you know, has been consistent and also the way he burst on the scene as well. He's also playing with some, you know, I would say arguably better talent on the Blue Jackets blue line that, you know, you know, sort of makes you wonder as well. But I, you know, to me, I don't have any question marks about Provorov and his game. I just, it's just fascinating question. I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah, that's a good While one. While we're on that's a good one. the topic of uh, Flyers RFAs, the other guy that a lot of fans have been asking about and uh, Sean Moore on Twitter asked this uh wanted to know what your thoughts are on what kind of deal Travis Konechny uh, could get. And if you were Chuck Fletcher, what would you be comfortable with giving him? Well, it's uh, part of it. Of course, you need to figure out and get a real sense of where the Provorov discussion is going, which, you know, to my knowledge, at least as of a week or two ago, there really wasn't much dialogue at all. Everyone's waiting for the market to get better set. Um, but once, if you're Chuck Fletcher, you know where you're going to roughly end up in the ballpark. Um, you know, you need to leave a little bit of breathing room left over. You can't just take it to the limit like the Flyers did so many years before. Uh, they have, what, $13 million in space. Let's say, you know, Provorov's chewing up eight of those. Um, you know, I, I'd be comfortable if I were the Flyers looking at some sort of bridge deal, two years, $8 million, $4 million a year. Like, that's just kind of... The range that I see Travis connect me in at the moment, um, is it more than that? I, I don't know. I that's kind of where my gut tells me he might end up. I think that's I think that's a fair number too. I mean, I, I, if he gets more than that and he and he becomes what the fifth forward that would have more money than Couturier, it makes that Couturier contract so much so much better. Even even still, um, but I think you're right, on, Frank. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on with right around four million a year for two years uh, with with Konechny. and and I think th- and I think it'll get done. I think that see like that one I don't worry about as much. I don't think that one drags into training camp. I but I certainly do think there's a very real possibility that Provorov gets that far, and that's, that's yeah, a scary it's thing. just a there's just a trickle down effect that really Konechny can't get done until you know what you're locked in with from Provorov, right? I mean, I guess you could. But you don't want the Provorov thing to go sideways, and then all of a sudden not have enough, right? Yeah, but you could always you could always then burn salary. You can get rid of salary if need sure. be. Sure. I mean, they have that. There's a reason that there's still eight defensemen under contract, right? Uh, at this point, right? So I think that I think that that's a possibility that another another contract could get moved just to add some extra dollars if you need them for for uh, for Provorov. Um, Speaking of dollars, how are you guys feeling about that Kevin Hayes deal? Oh, oh man, that's hold on. We're gonna get whoa, into that, Frank. Whoa, we're hold gonna, on a second. We're gonna get into that. If you wanna if you wanna talk about that, <laughs> let me just say that talking about Kevin Hayes is a drag. And while we're talking about drags, you know what else is a drag, Anthony? There's nothing quite like running out of propane. And I don't know how you feel. Oh, is this our commercial? Oh yeah, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Uh so I don't know how you feel, Anthony, Frank, but uh there's nothing worse than running out of propane. And if there's anything worse than running out of propane, it's coming to the realization that that means you need to go grab your tank, disconnect it, drag it through your yard, throw it in the back of your your pickup truck, throw it in your trunk. 
have it roll around, get everything filthy and covered in spider webs, dirt, mud. Everything's a mess. You're half worried that your car is going to blow up. You go to the local convenience store. You drop, what, $20, $30 on a new tank. You wonder, you hope that, it, that it's actually safe to use. You take it back home. You hook it back up. And by that point, your family's already gone out and gotten Chick-fil-A. Well, fear not, because thanks to our friends at Cinch by Amerigas, go check them out online at cinch.com, C-Y-N-C-H.com. If it is your first time ordering from them, and you should, they are a uh, propane delivery and exchange company. So you take your old propane tank, you put it out on your driveway or on your, your porch, they will come pick it up and they will deliver you a brand new full propane tank for just $10. That's right, just $10. They'll take that old disgusting tank away, bring you a brand new one full of propane, for just ten dollars with the promo code Crossing Broad. That's right. one word, Crossing Broad. Again, that's cinch.com. You can find the link to that in the description of this episode. And again, use the promo code Crossing Broad. It'll only be ten dollars. It's a fantastic service. I've done it. Some families done it. Some friends have done it. And uh, it is really a great thing. So that was the most long-winded commercial ever. Well, I wanted it to be long, and I wanted it to drag on a little bit too long because that's how I feel like this Kevin Hayes deal is going to go. It might be fine up front. It might be okay in the middle, but the end is going to be an absolute disaster. Well, so Just like that promo. Frank, I, yeah, I don't okay. think it's good from the start. Yeah, no, I don't like, like, like it. Let's, let's not even wait till year three to, to start diagnosing this. No, no, you're right. I'm glad you're, you're absolutely I'm gl- right. I'm glad because you're here, Frank. So here's what here's what I you know and, and Russ I'm not going to sit here and say Russ has disagreed because Russ and I this is one thing we've actually kind of really agreed on this summer is that is that Kevin Hayes is a slightly better than a third line center but not quite a second line center and you're paying him ridiculous sum of money to be that for the next seven years and it, 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 he's not going to he's not going to get you anywhere close to the value of 7.1 million dollars against your cap this season or next season or any of these seven seasons and so that's why I think it was it was a real jump the gun kind of thing by the Flyers to to give him that kind of money I I, I think that they could have done better than that in the, in free agency if they would have just waited till July 1. I don't understand why they felt the need to go out and spend a pick in order to go do this. Like, I don't think there was a team that would have come close to the Flyers number because if there were, Kevin Hayes would have just waited until July one. And I have that on good authority. Yeah. I was with a current NHL player the night before game seven in Boston, who like five minutes before seeing me ran into Kevin Hayes, you know, outside somewhere in downtown Boston which is obviously his hometown. He goes, oh, yeah, he said, I just ran into Kevin Hayes. He said, the only way, he said, Kevin Hayes told him the only way he's going to the Flyers is if the Flyers overpaid to get him. And how much did they overpay by? I mean, at least hard to answer that specifically, but I would say at least six to $700,000 a year. And what, five, seven years. Yep. I was going to say a million. I, I thought he was a, I thought he was a $6 million player. Yeah, and that's fair. Look, this is a guy, whoever's talking about his defensive capabilities, they're overrated. He's a fine two-way player. He's not Sean Couturier, um, and he doesn't produce points, or at least he hasn't up until this point in his career at age 27 to justify the amount of money that he brings. And then you add in the questions about his work ethic and his attention to detail and his ability to stay engaged throughout an 82-game season, you talk to people around the league, they say that it wanes at times. 
that, you know, he's, he's everything you want him to be for a stretch of games. And then he takes a few off. And at times, unfortunately, that's sort of been the MO of the Flyers over the last handful of years is that they give you what you're looking for. And then they have these ridiculous losing streaks. And, you know, I don't know that that's the type of player that you wanted to add to this group. And I, I get their need for a second line center. I think he can fill that void. But for the dollars, and unfortunately, we're all living in a cap world now. There's no other way to evaluate a player. You can't just say, oh, well, he is a second line center. You know, I just wish we paid him less. That's not part of the equation. It's like going back to Andrew McDonald. Like, mm-hmm. he was hated here because of his cap hit not because of necessarily what he brought. It was for what he brought in relation to the cap hit. And so that's sort of where the Flyers landed with Kevin Hayes. Seven years, 50 million bucks. Like I'm still shocked that that's the number that they ended up on. I mean, good for Kevin Hayes to to go out and and get that kind of money. I, I can just tell you that his run with the Winnipeg Jets was really disappointing uh, from Winnipeg's perspective, I felt they felt like at the end of it, they didn't get nearly enough for what they gave up for him. Do you think that this falls, uh, a lot of this falls, I mean, you know, obviously Chuck Fletcher is going to take the, the brunt of it because he's the one who signed them to the deal, right? But do you think a lot of this ultimately falls at, the feet, it falls at the feet of Vigneault because he was he coached Kevin Hayes before and at least, at, you know, and he was here before they made the deal and said, well, you know, hey, Elaine, what do you think? Is this a guy that we can, you know, do this with for seven years? And he says, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's what do you, how much of it do you think Vino really gets involved with that discussion? My understanding the entire time and, and look, some of this is hearsay. So, like, this isn't me reporting it. I just want to right. preface that. Sure. But the hearsay around the league was that Kevin Hayes didn't get along well with Elaine Vino at the end, that they hated each other. Now, I don't know what that means moving forward. Clearly, you know, time heals some of that. But I also think there was um, a recognition on Kevin Hayes' part that he played some of his best hockey under Alain Vigneault and that maybe he thought, you know, that some of those fences could be mended and, and that they could do this. But, I mean, to me, that was another kind of like my eyebrows were raised at it. Well, what do you mean this guy didn't get along with the guy who's now going to be his coach for the foreseeable future? on a also long-term expensive contract that the coach is now earning. You know, I don't know how that works itself out. Um, again, like I said, maybe it could just be water under the bridge, but I don't think that there was Elaine Vino saying, we got to go out and get this guy. If that's what your question was to me, when I, when I preface your question with there's pressure that was coming from the top in the flyers organization saying, we have to make hay here. Look at these teams in our division that are going to be getting better. Our attendance is dwindling at times. The interest in the city, you know, the Flyers are a clear fourth, and I don't even think it's close at this point. Um, You know, you look at all the turmoil and turnover in the front office, and not just on the hockey side, but also on the business side. I mean, this team has sort of lost its way, and I think there's some pressure certainly starting at the top with Dave Scott saying, we need to make this team relevant again after you know being you know kind of just hanging at the bottom and being an also ran for so long so what I, you're not wrong you're not wrong <laughs> you're not wrong with that assessment go ahead so Ross, the, I'm the sorry. Hayes signing uh for as much of a mess as it is i wanted to know from the national perspective here uh I, I kind of viewed it as an indictment on nolan patrick and his his lack of development or his lack of of hustle his lack of fire something 
Um, you know, from where glad you said that. From from where you stand, it, are, is this something that is being said in circles around the league? Is that Nolan Patrick, who had been thought of as a consensus number one overall pick in his draft, has been a disappointment to this point? And does it say more about him than it does about the team's desperation to feel that need to to replace him at, as the two C? There's no question that it says a lot about Nolan Patrick as well. I mean, the way that he closed out his rookie year, I really thought, you know, I think if you if you crunch the numbers, the way that he closed it out, it was on something like a 55-point pace over a full season. And he really, it seemed like, you know, 50 or 60 games into that rookie year, he really seemed to figure it out. And you're like, okay, this is the guy that, this is the guy that they wanted. You could see why it made sense. All the skill was there. You know, he, he used his body so well and everything was kind of, the stars were aligning and you're like, all right, this guy is going to hit the ground running in year two. It's going to make perfect sense. You know, he, they're going to be able to slot him in there. He's going to take off playing with good players, playing big minutes. And all of a sudden, I don't, I don't know if you can necessarily call it a regression I mean, in some ways you can because of how strongly he finished the year, but it, it was so underwhelming that all of a sudden you're saying, where's the problem here? Is the problem in Nolan Patrick or is the problem in the fact that the Flyers didn't shield him enough? And going back to Ron Hextall's tenure, you know, summer before they signed Kevin Hayes, that's what the rest of the front office was barking is you need to shield Nolan Patrick better than this. You can't go into this season with him as your your number two center, he's going to be exposed. He's, he's vulnerable. Teams are going to prey on him. And so then they didn't go out and fill that void adequately enough. And, you know, you could, you know, make your argument, you know, whatever way you want, that the Flyers would be better positioned if Claude Giroux was back at center and, and then you had Couturier there. I think that's out the window now with the way that Giroux has produced. And I think everyone would agree it's just that they went in, they went through a whole nother year without solving their problem. And I don't know if that contributed to Ron Hextall's demise. Obviously, there was a lot of off-ice stuff that, Anthony, you touched on on Crossing Broad that certainly was part of it. But it was almost like the question marks that surrounded the Flyers heading into last season, they were so obvious, whether it was Patrick or whether it was the injuries with the goaltending coming into the year with Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth, that to me, they should have been addressed and they weren't. And now, so they're now trying to backfill a little bit. And that's why you end up with the Kevin Hayes contract that he ends up with. You know, I would have rather seen them if they felt so desperate about it to trade some of their young pieces to get a guy rather than hamstring yourself just because you can get him without expending assets and give him a bad contract. I mean, especially when you have an, an embarrassment of riches supposedly in your prospect system you know, maybe you unload one of those guys in a pick in order to make it work and get that second line center that you desperately need. And then you keep your cap flexibility for a guy that you actually want to spend it on. But still, they're now kind of still going out and addressing those issues. And, you know, there's certainly still some of those same question marks that exist heading into this year. How does Carter Hart handle year two after the tremendous run that he had? Can he sustain it? Does he have the right guy in Brian Elliott that he's playing in tandem with? You know, there's lots of questions, but, you know, it's a chicken and the egg. Is it is it Kevin Hayes or is, or is it the number two center spot or is it Nolan Patrick? And I would say, you know, at this point, it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
I love I love that you're preaching this because this is what we were this is what we've been saying right Russ for for the uh, since July one. Um, what's your take on the way they reshaped the defense, Frank? Bringing in Niskanen and um, and uh, Justin Braun um, and going up with three lefty and three righty defensemen. Probably, I mean that's likely how the the setup's going to be. And retaining salary. Let's not forget that. Yeah, well, yes, well, but Frank knows that. Frank knows what they did. <laughs> I'm going to let him answer the question, Russ. You, you can't see me here, but I'm actually yawning because, like, that's <laughs> what I think of the Flyers' quote unquote overhaul of their defense. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm still, I don't understand the Matt Niskanen trade. I want to get it. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I think they actually gave up the better player in the deal and then also retained salary. So there's that aspect to consider with Gudis. I mean, Justin Braun is, he's just, he's, you know, NFL players hate this term, but he's a jag. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And that's at this point, you know, I don't know that you can throw darts to Chuck Fletcher for a guy that has one year left on his deal. They didn't give up a ton to get him. If they really feel like he can come in and help them. I like the, righty lefty split situation and i understand why that makes sense but if you want to try justin braun for one year at 3.8 million knock your socks off like it's not going to make or break this team it's the niskanen one that i don't necessarily understand with the second year you know pending what happens with ivan provorov as currently your highest paid defenseman yeah i i guess the one argument that i was making in trying to come up with a, a reason to say it was okay is that yeah Niskanen didn't have a very good year in in 18 19 but boy he he looked pretty good during the Capitals cup run he did um and and that maybe you know there's a lot of ifs. he's two I mean, he's two seasons removed from that now No, you're right you're right I mean there's that's what I'm saying so the the reason that I didn't like the Flyers offseason is because it was an offseason that was built around, well, yeah, if this happens and if this happens and if this happens, it'll be a success. But it's too many ifs. And I so I think Niskanen is an if. And it's a gamble. And I, I'm not, it might not if. be the right gamble. If Claude Giroux continues to produce the way that he has, if James Van Riemsdyk scores 30 goals again, if Carter Hart puts up a 917 or better save percentage again, you know, if Brian Elliott is able to, you know, stay standing for a longer stretch than two weeks, I mean, there's a million ifs. And I, you're right. There's nothing really concrete that you can bet on that you can say this, this and this are going to happen. And the Flyers are going to be better than all the other teams in their division. This this that got better this summer. Right. Preach. And so just and so freaking preach. Can you so, say it a little bit louder for the people so, in the back? <laughs> well, no. So so here we go. So I, when I was on, we were we had uh, we did one of these with um with uh, Jason Martinez and Russ Cohen, we did a crossover podcast with uh, the Stick to Hockey podcast a few weeks back, and we at the end of the at the end of the show, Russ asked everybody to say where they thought the Flyers were, you know, as currently constructed, where the Flyers would finish in the division, and I said that there are going to be a borderline, just like they've been the last few years, borderline possible playoff team, but probably just miss finishing either fifth or sixth, and these guys were like, "What? You're crazy! No way!" Frank, where are the Flyers going to finish this year if you had a pick based off of where they are right now? All right, so I'm sitting here looking at the standings and also keeping in mind who got better. Yeah. I would say Pittsburgh probably took a step back trading Kessel as much as they felt like they needed to get rid of him for a culture change. 
I would say that the New York Islanders are going to take a step back because their goaltending is not going to be nearly as good, but they're still going to be competitive and tough to play against. They mostly kept their forward group intact, re-signing, I think, all their guys. The Devils got way better. The Rangers got way better. I think the Rangers are a playoff team as currently constituted. I think, you know, they're going to shock some teams this year how good they are. Their young guys are phenomenal. I think Kravtsov already is better than Capocacco, and we all know what he's going to bring. You know, the Devils, be curious to see how Subban fits there. I think the Hurricanes are really well positioned to take a step forward with the group they have. Still have some question marks about their goaltending. I would say that the Columbus Blue Jackets are the only team that got significantly worse. Right. Just by virtue of not re-signing their guys. And I have serious question marks about Junis Corpusalo and his ability uh, to, to run with that team all year. They still have a pretty impressive back end and some young players that can score. But this team, this division, it's like there are no easy ones in this league, but it's murder. I yeah. mean, and you didn't I, even mention Washington, who's probably the right. best team still in the division, right? Yeah. And I would probably say that there's still one. I would, and this is just off the cuff. This is the first time I've really thought about it and looked at it. I would say Washington one, Carolina two, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. three, Rangers four, New Jersey five, Columbus six, Flyers seven, Islanders eight. Wow. Wowzers. He's even lower. You could than... even say Flyers eight, Whoa. Islanders seven. Whoa! <laughs> see it? Whoa! And I was being opt- I thought I was being optimistic. You know what Russ, they should do, Anthony? Anthony, six Anthony, place. So they this, just you said, to... so you said two weeks ago, six place. About it was uh, when did we do that? It was probably it was almost a month the... ago. It was probably yeah. It was almost it was, a month yeah. ago. Almost almost so, a month ago. So how do you? I mean, how do you see it? Like what? The only the only teams... what you're seeing to to get to five. Well, I didn't. I said six was six was more likely. I said they have a shot at five if thing everything go, if the, all the ifs go right. If all forty seven of the ifs go well. Um. But my, I thought I think they'll finish ahead of. I, like I still think they'll finish ahead of Columbus. I think it's gonna be tough for Columbus to. Well, I don't know. I you might don't be right. hedge might, now. No, no, no. You you're not allowed to back down now because Saravali put him lower. You can't do that. I, no, I didn't. I, I I'm st- I'll stick with six. And then the uh, the the eighth place team I have uh, like you. I, I well I had Columbus eighth, but I had the Islanders seventh. I can, I mean that's totally plausible. I yeah. People don't realize how close the Flyers were to the Rangers last year, given how yeah. bad the Rangers' season was. I mean, I you know you look at it, they were only four points back. Right. And then you look at all the changes that they made. I mean, to me, that decor is is scary and mobile. They have Lundqvist, and you know you look at what their goaltending situation is moving forward. It's really positive with both. Uh, Georgiev and Shostorkin. I mean, Shostorkin is a star. That guy is the heir apparent to King Henrik's throne. Um, you know, Carolina, we talked about. I covered that team for two playoff rounds. Uh, be curious to see what happens with Justin Williams. Does he come back or, or not? How does that affect their leadership group moving forward? Rod, I think Rod Brindamore is a heck of a coach. You know, I, Pittsburgh maybe is a wild card. I would say, given the, some of the reasons we discussed, does Galchenyuk wake up? Does he figure it out? Um, you know, how does Matt Murray play? How, how does their defense hold up? Is Chris Letang healthy? Is he not? I mean, these are all question marks that could potentially make Pittsburgh a non-playoff team. Um, but, I, you know, who? it's, you know, when you have Sid and, and Malkin, like, 
they're going to be a tough out regardless. It's going to be tough for them to miss the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about, you know, that six, seven range. I, you know, they could also be eight. I mean, there is a pretty easy way to, to vault them up into the top four. And what's that? Fire Dave Haxtell. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Um, Leave poor Dave alone. Uh, Just, <laughs> he's in another division now. He's now an assistant coach. I got to tell you, you know, for as much as he was lambasted here, he was incredibly well-respected around the league. I thought he would be one of those guys that would have to go to another league and work his way back up. But he was like, people were talking about him left and right after he got fired as you know, a potential candidate. And that's not me carrying his water. I, I don't, I'm not tight with him. Don't know him that well. I'm just telling you what other people have said about him around the league. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that when it happened, uh, when the Hextall was fired and that, that that almost like, because I was told by somebody in the organization that that they wanted to kind of give him a chance to see what would happen. And you know how everything went kablooey real quick because the coaching change, they weren't quite ready for the coaching change at that time. Um, uh, but but that everything they really wanted to see with ha- what Hackstall could do, and then it got to a point where they had to make the change just because of the way things broke. But um, if if you're gonna go through what the Flyers went through and get rid of the GM but keep the coach, that tells you that they kind of thought that there was something there as well. So um, I, even internally, I think that there were some people, some hockey people, who felt like, yeah, maybe give this guy a chance and see what he can do. So, for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. All right, let's but get. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You have any questions there, Russ, yeah, on, from Twitter? We've got some uh, Twitter questions. Let's uh, bang through a few of these. Isaiah uh, says, What happens uh, come January if the Flyers are on track to miss the playoffs, but because they're, uh, because they're better, but not or just not good enough? God, I can't read. Or if the goaltending goes south due to an Elliott injury. Or, and or a heart regression, would the brass be willing to move a top prospect like Isaac Ratcliffe at that point? So to recap, they're on track to miss the playoffs, but they're close because they're better. They're just not good enough. Goaltending goes south or heart uh, regresses. Would they move a prospect to try to get themselves into playoff contention? My guess would be yes, just because I think the temperature is going to ratchet up. And for Chuck Fletcher, it's going to ratchet up quickly. Um, after this offseason, I would think. So, you know, they're hoping for a sizable improvement with this group. Um, and if not, then that's where, you know, I think he begins to dip into his arsenal to try and, you know, make quicker changes to this team. Because, you know, in some ways, that's, you know, the one thing about the Flyers that has them really well positioned moving forward is the base that they have where, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, I was talking to someone, you know, just ran into some people this week and they said, Oh, Chuck Fletcher has ruined the flyers and everything that Ron Hextall has done. Well, no, he hasn't. He hasn't traded away any of the prospects really. And they have more or less all of their picks moving forward. And after this season, they only have $56 million committed in a year in which the cap finally should have some sort of sizable increase. So, they're going to be in a spot moving forward. I, I think that would make sense. In the meantime, he's tried to improve this team 
you know, Kevin Hayes deal notwithstanding sort of on the margins with Niskanen and Braun trying to somehow, you know, make this group better without going out and doing that. But that's the next step I would imagine in the process is to then go and do that. All right. The, uh, the next one we have, uh, there's two from uh, Nicholas Hankins who asks uh, first thing, and I guess this kind of comes back to if you think the team is going to be in playoff contention or not, what number of rookies will start the season with the Flyers and how many end the season with the Flyers? Anthony, that might be a little bit more in your wheelhouse. I don't know how, uh, how up on the, uh, the prospects. Oh, come on. But... You think Frank's not t- plugged in? Come on now. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll I go first. I can't give you a number, fr- but I'll just give you my one bold predict- prediction for the roster. And yeah. I was going to say this if you, d- if you didn't ask me. I was going to bring it up. I think Joel Farabee makes the team. Whoa! Do you really? Whoa! Yes. Okay. That's that. See, I, I thought, think they're going to have a hard time telling him no. I, so I was of the mindset that I was of the mindset that he might at some point be here, but not necessarily straight out of camp. But that's that's pretty. That is a pretty bold prediction. Because I, I was under the I was I was going to my answer is going to be Frank that that no rookies make the team out of camp no frost no i don't think frost is i don't think frost is physically where he needs to be Um, but see that's what everyone's gonna say about farabee too and that's what the flyers told him last summer i think was yeah you really got to bulk up i mean he was like 168 or 78 pounds soaking wet but more and more like they were saying that about mitch marner forever this guy he's never going to be successful in the nhl because he can't he doesn't have the size to, to handle it. I, I just think that matters less and less. Uh, side note, the Flyers are going to kick themselves for years for not drafting Cole, Cole Caulfield. But to me... <laughs> not a Cam York fan? To me, I think, I think Farabee is, is a guy that's going to shock some people in September. That be that would be a great thing. I mean, it, to be honest with you, if he did make the, does make the team, it will at least generate some some buzz for a, for a team that really lacks it. I mean, other, other than Carter Hart and hoping that he can replicate what he did last season, there's not a lot of buzz around this team. And so maybe if, if Farabee does make the team, that would at least give them a little bit of something else, a little bit more juice going mm-hmm. into the season. Um, I, that'd be great. I, I hope you're right, Frank. I hope you're right. I think that would be, a, that would be good for us too. You know, it would give us something else to, to talk about and, and discuss. But I think at the, by the end of the season, I, I think you'll probably see a couple. Um, I, you know, I think depends how it goes. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I mean, obviously injuries always play a play into that, right? If somebody gets hurt and you need to call somebody mm-hmm. up, who are you calling up? Are you calling up that prospect who's ready? Or are you just calling up somebody to kind of just fill in for six, eight games until, you know, your, your injured player can get healthy again. Um, a lot of that is is dependent upon you know how the the season is going for the team, but I think you'll probably see at least a couple guys before the end of the year get called up. I think Farabee's. I, I mean, this is just me from what I've seen and people I've talked to. I think Farabee might be a little bit closer than Frost. You're probably right. As a matter of fact, I was told last year that even Ratcliffe was closer than Frost. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, for what it's worth. Again, two different positions. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Ratcliffe's a winger and Frost's a center, but. Um. Yeah, the just Frost just might not be there physically just yet. But I really liked what I saw from Frost at World Juniors, though. Well, I mean, he had a he had a really nice World Junior tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's 
That's a good. You know who's going to be an, a, a guy that I, I think is a make or break prospect this year is Rupsov. Because they didn't like him a couple years ago. They were disappointed with him. And then he got off to a, a really nice start last year before he got hurt. And then he obviously didn't play the rest of the season. I think this is a make or break kind of start to the season for Rupsov for the Flyers. It's it feels early, but you would know better than me. Well, he's twenty one. I mean, yeah, yeah, and he's got he does have one more year um, on his on his entry level contract after this. But uh, I think that I think that there's they need to see they need to see him take a take a stride forward is mm-hmm. is what I'm kind of getting. So mm-hmm. all right, next up we have uh, anyway. two questions that are separate but are are somewhat linked. Steve Appleman asks, how much of an impact is uh, Vigneault and his assistant coaches going to have on the current core of Flyers? And Andrew Alton asks, is it fair to say the core of this team rebels against uh, what what Andrew perceives to be about one too many ex-head coaches? That's, I, a, good, that's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't understand Do they the rebe- Yeah, I, well, I, I don't know that any core is going to be rebelling against a guy that's had the success that Elaine Vino's had in this league. I mean, he's going to have their attention early. Um, whether he keeps it or not, I mean, that's the big question mark and how long he keeps it. But he seemed to have some pretty sustained and prolonged runs, uh, both in New York with the core that he took over there and, of course, in Vancouver. So, I mean, will they rebel against him because he's an ex-head coach? I, I doubt it. I mean, this guy... The one thing that I like about Elaine Vino is he has an aura about him. He like you know when he walks in the room if that makes any sense. Uh, he has a presence. He's almost more like some would say a CEO than a head coach. He's really good at delegating. So I'll be curious to see how much of an impact those assistants do have. But I mean, he's a guy that's well respected and obviously has gotten to know a couple of these guys through the world championship that I'm wondering, you know, if they were already ready, you know, and able to hit the ground running, so to speak. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be rebelling against Elaine Vigneault because he was a former head coach and they wanted to see something different or new. I I don't think that would be the case at all. Does, does Michelle Tarion surprise you as an assistant coach? Not really. I mean, he was looking to get back in and, you know, actually was a really well-respected guy. The players that I've talked to all really liked playing for him. He's a very personable guy, a uh, very warm guy. So maybe that tends to really work out well for an assistant um, in terms of the relationship that you have with players. Obviously, it's hard for guys that were assistants, and I think Craig Berube ran into this a lot with the Flyers, is that when you're an assistant for so long and then you become the boss, it's hard to make that transition, but it might be, you might be able to undo it and go from being a head man in this league back down to being an assistant if you're a personable guy. So let, let me ask you this, uh, Frank. The way that I viewed this offseason is, is almost a mix of arrogance and incompetence on the part of the Flyers front office. Insofar as they didn't go out and make any kind of a big move, they overpaid Hayes. They made some fringe moves in, in like Braun and Niskanen, but they didn't really, in in my eye, get all that much better. I think you can almost argue that they're about the status quo. Um, 
the way that I kind of view this is is as if the Flyers, as if Chuck Fletcher is almost saying that the front office knows better than the fans and the pundits that this team is actually a lot better than they performed under Dave Hackstall and then Scott Gordon, and that just by virtue of bringing in Vigneault as the coach, that all of a sudden this is going to you know cause a lot of these ifs and these things that we think are are questionable variables that Vino is going to be able to somehow push all the right buttons and this team is going to be exponentially better than they were a season ago. Do you think that 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 they might be overrating just how how much of an impact Vino is going to make since they didn't make massive changes to the roster? I don't know that they look at it that way. I I think that and again, this is me spitballing. This isn't me talking to someone and getting their insight first. My read on this would be that they think of it more like the previous question, what was it, two or three ago, where let's try this and see how it works before we then go dig into our vault and and start moving on from some of these prospects that we really like. So I think that's they recognized from the beginning when Chuck Fletcher came there that, you know, for all of his other warts and issues that Ron Hextall and really Chris Pryor did a really good job drafting. So that's where their riches were. And to try and figure out how can we best can, you know, conserve these moving forward and play it in a conservative manner before trying to go down that path. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, so that, that's how I think they see it. Okay. I, I have one final question because we're going to wrap this up here. Uh, we're at the one hour mark. Um, and this has nothing to do with anything current. This is more personal for you, Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? And I know because p- people did ask this. At, you know, we talked about this at the very beginning. What was it like for you a few years back? I, you've been at TSN, what, three years now? This will be year five. Oh, it's your fifth year coming up. Okay, so yeah. four years. Going back, what was the transition like for you to switch from – you know, not only just going, to, not only going from local to national, but going from local to Canada, <laughs> where mm. where this sport is is religion. Um, and can you tell uh, any kind of funny story from your very beginnings of going up to uh, uh, up to up to TSN? That kind of uh, you know just was a, a funny experience uh, as you got to got got to make that switch from being a local reporter to a national reporter. I would say that I really learned a lot about myself and the way I do my job. And I kind of, at times, look back on the way I did my job in Philly at the Daily News, not with embarrassment at all, but like at all. Because I, you know, obviously I was proud of the work that I did, but I would have done things a little bit differently at times. I wouldn't have been as, um, I don't, I don't want to say out there, but as forthcoming or on the edge as I was, because, you know, let's face it with like some of the stories that I did write and break, like in some ways that created a reputation that helped me ultimately get my job as a reporter, someone that digs, but you know, and I, I don't think that I was on the wrong side too many times. Just, I wouldn't have been as daring as I was knowing now what I know and knowing you know, how this, how everything works, how the game works and how relationships work. It's, you know, it's not that I burn bridges, but, you know, I was also a 20 something year old kid that, you know, was, that had my job that I was still trying to figure it out. 
So I think there's certainly part of that, that like, it's just like anyone in any job that, you know, the way you do it now is not the same way you did it when you were 22. So that's certainly, you know, certainly part of it. Um, I would say that the, the part that still catches me off guard is just kind of the power of TSN in the sense that like, there are very few people that I call or contact that don't get back to me. Not to say that, you know, I had any issues when I was at the daily news. Like I, you know, I talked to plenty of people and certainly had my ins with the team. Uh, what made my head spin the first year and the first summer was just the depth of everything. Like how much you needed to know about so many teams, because you go from being an expert of one to trying to know a little bit about 30 other teams. So that made my head spin. And the other part of it is just, you know, the amount of contacts that I've made, you know, just from being around, going to all these playoff games, going to all these games and events and GM meetings and owners meetings, board of governors, that you're able to make contacts. And um, the hockey world is so insanely small that I don't, you know, it's a four and a half billion dollar industry. It's got to be the world's smallest $4 billion industry because everyone knows everyone. And, you know, once you start to make those connections, like, you know, I've known Chuck Fletcher for a while, just from going to GM meetings, um, you know, and being down there with him in, in Boca. And so then when he came to the Flyers, you know, you're able to bring that connection a little bit uh, and pick up the phone when you need to, um, you know, to try and seek information. So um, it's a small world. Everyone knows everyone. And, you know, if you continue to act the right way and, and handle yourself in a professional manner, uh, you know, do your best to ask tough questions and break stories without putting yourself or your outlet in a compromising position, then, um, you know, you can have some longevity in it. Since How long I've learned, it... oh, ahead, I've learned from the other guys that I work with, Bob McKenzie, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun, just they've sort of helped steer me. You know, I'd say, hey, I got this tip. And they'll either help me investigate, like some things I just have dead to rights that I use on my own, but they've really helped me with some of the stuff that I get. Say, hey, why don't you try this? Or no, you can't go with that yet. You need to get an extra person to confirm it. Like those guys are never wrong. And so working with them, you know, my only goal is to have my batting average be a thousand. And so, you know, knock on wood, so far it's been pretty good. I just, looking back, I, not cringe, but I'm like, man, I was really out there knowing what I know now with some of the stuff that I reported on when I was at the Daily News. And how long did it take you to learn how to spell things with the extra U? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that, there were certain things, like the first few weeks, like I just remember filing stories and my editor would be like, look, that's not how we spell this here. And so I, I kind of just had to figure that out. And in some ways I feel like a mercenary. It's like, um, you know, now I, I, I spell the words the way I get paid, if that makes any sense. And yeah, I'm willing sure. to kind of give some of my own, uh, American identity up, but, uh, you know, I guess that's what you have to do. Can't mess up spelling sports centra. Um, <laughs> since, since yeah, you... that and na neighborhood and practiced, they're all weird words. <sighs> um, just since you brought this up and, and I know this is usually a, a critique that, fans of any sport have of national media do you feel like there's a, an inherent pressure or or is this something that kind of motivates you out of i don't know out of fear that as a national media guy when you're asked something on the spot like if if you're on tv if you're on the radio and it, 
and it seems like there's an expectation that you are 100% fluent on every player, every prospect of every team, and how every team is trending. Do you find yourself just constantly trying to binge as much as you can of all of these teams so that, you know, even even if you know that you might not be quite as well-versed on, on a specific team, maybe a, a bottom-dwelling team, that you can at least give off the the front that you are very well educated on that team like is that a is that a thing that goes through your head not really i mean one thing that i try to do when i don't know is to, don't be afraid to say you don't know that you're not familiar or you need to learn more like not everyone can know everything and i don't think that that should be a requirement for the job i mean my focus largely is on the seven canadian teams that you know, I try and know inside and out, but, you know, even then I'm calling on local experts all the time. I'm calling one of our bureau reporters to try and get more information or figure out how this or that works. Um, you know, I can't proclaim to know everything there is to know about the Florida Panthers or about the Dallas Stars or pick a team, any team that is not in my wheelhouse. So is there, pre you know, should I know more? Of course, it's my job. Um but I try and watch as much as I can. And I think that's the other part, as I mentioned, is just don't be afraid to say that you don't know because that's okay. That's right. awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, Frank, listen, I, I I know I speak for Russ when I say this. We really appreciate it. Normally, we you know we ask guests to come on for you know 20 minutes. You gave us an, you gave us an hour more than that. I mean, it, it was just awesome. I think that the uh, – listeners of the podcast are really going to appreciate uh, your insights and your perspective on everything not just flyers related but league-wide and uh, keep up the great work at tsn we really appreciate your uh, uh, your honesty and, and the work that you do and and uh, we thank you very much for coming on to the program today thanks guys had a blast uh, awesome well russ you want you want to wrap this puppy up oh you're darn right i i do it's just gonna be like uh, christmas eve wrapping all the presents don't forget to go check out the shows on the crossing broad podcast network they're all linked in the uh, description of this episode below but most importantly don't forget to go over to cinch.com cynch.com and use the promo code crossing broad ten dollars they'll deliver that new propane tank to you and take your old one away ah uh, use them anthony I, I can't believe it we're getting so close to the season sort of we're getting close to players coming back sort of and uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be a year that we are going to have even more guests than a season ago as we continue to provide the best coverage of your team, your town, the Orange and Black, your Philadelphia Flyers on the only Flyers podcast, Snow the Goalie. Talk to you again soon.